Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. And tonight, man, we've got a special treat for you. Our two guests are Mark L. Lester and Jeff Miller. Guys, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. These guys are producers, directors, filmmakers uh, from way back. And they have a new movie that is coming out tomorrow, actually, called Exorcist Vengeance, coming out to DVD and video on demand. Both you guys are executive producers in the movie. We're going to talk about that. And I have to give a little disclaimer. We have a legend in the room, Mark Lester, directed three of the most popular movies, I would argue, not only in the 80s, but of all time. He directed Class of 1984, uh, Stephen King's Firestarter, and Commando. And Mark, not only did you produce and direct these movies, but you did them back to back to back. <laughs> and that is a feat in itself. So we're going to start off. We're going to talking about uh, Exorcist Vengeance. And then we're going to pivot over into those three classic films. So again, thank you to both of you for being on the show. Now, Jeff, Exorcist Vengeance, mm-hmm. uh, starring Richard Bronzy is coming out tomorrow to DVD and video on demand. Is that correct? Robert Bronzy, yeah. Um, it comes out tomorrow, yeah. Okay. Uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the major di- uh, digital platforms, yeah. Awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. Now, Jeff, I got to tell you, and I still find this hard to believe, that Robert Bronzy, sorry about the mistake earlier, Robert Bronzy is not related to Charles Bronson. <laughs> I mean, I... They're a spitting image of each other. And as I was watching the film, I'm like, this, this I mean, what is he, his son, maybe a younger brother. And mm-hmm. when I did my research, and there is no relation whatsoever, and I'm not the only one who sees it. It's, it's pretty viral on the internet, people trying to find some kind of familial connection, but there isn't any. Uh, so let's talk about Exorcist Vengeance. How did you first get involved with this project um i had done a few other movies with the uh, directors scott jeffrey and uh and rebecca matthews and uh, in fact mark and i had uh, executive produced uh, a movie called the gardener that came out uh, just came out a few weeks ago here gardener awesome. you can see it yeah <laughs> um lionsgate put that out a few weeks ago so uh those guys had directed that um they pitched me a few ideas for another movie. One of them was an exorcist idea. So I kind of liked it. And uh, I came up with the treatment um, for this. And uh, all along, I kind of wanted Bronzy to star in it as kind of a troubled priest that has to has to root out a, a murderous demon. And um, so anyway, I said, Mark, you want to you know jump on this one, be involved again? He said, sure. So we shot it in England um, about March of last year middle of covid and quarantine craziness and stuff but um yeah that's how it how it kind of came together uh mark how did you get involved in this movie with with jeff because we did the gardener was very successful and so he wanted to do this one so i got involved with him in that and and no no devils were heard in the making of the film (laughs) (laughs) uh i saw the film uh a very unique take you have a priest uh, a Catholic priest who is sort of this vigilante exorcist. He does not follow the rules of the church, uh, but obviously he's very good at what he does because the church gives him a lot of leeway uh, to do what he does and rid the world of evil. Now, Jeff, uh, when it came to Robert, uh, was that your call to get Robert as the main lead in this film? Yeah, uh, we, uh, I had done uh, four other movies with Bronzy, and um, I call him Bronzy just because that's what he tells everybody. That's kind of his nickname, and he, he'll introduce himself to you as Bronzy, so I call him Bronzy. Um, I'd done four other movies, and, and in fact, he was the lead of The Gardener uh, that also starred uh, Gary Daniels. That's when Lionsgate put out. So uh, you know, he's a friend of mine, um, and uh I just figured it was a perfect role for him. We wanted him to be this kind of, uh, you know, like you said, a, a priest that doesn't exactly follow the rules of the church. It's kind of who the church goes to for their dirty business. Yeah, They've got any kind of dirty, seedy business. They want swept under the rug. That's who they call. 
So I figured he was the right guy for that. And, you know, we'd had a lot of success with the gardener. And so I know Mark was, was anxious to jump aboard another bronzy movie. And so we, uh, we made it happen. Nice. Now, Mark, throughout your career, you've done a wide spectrum of films, action, thriller, horror. You, nobody can box you into being a director or a filmmaker for one particular genre. Looking back on your career, is that something that you're very proud of, that having to work the whole spectrum? Yeah, I basically, because, you know, when I first started, I took a class at UCLA and it was with uh, Howard Hawks famous director and he he did the same thing he directed a comedy he directed scarface he directed a western he didn't have any special movie he just liked all films and so i thought that's really good if i become a director i'd like to just shoot any genre movie because i love movies so i a student of all of these genres musical comedy action and, and you guys know very well in this industry it is very easy easy to get boxed in uh, whether if you're an actor to a particular type of character, if you're a filmmaker to making a particular type of film. So it, it's, I think it's great when people get to work the whole spectrum and explore different genres and do what they love, which is making films. So definitely hats off and congratulations on an awesome career. Uh, going back to Exorcist Vengeance, uh, as we go through the film, uh, I've seen it. Uh, I got a screener. Thank you for that. Uh, there are a lot of special effects that are thrown in. And you can tell this movie's sort of like on a medium-type budget. Uh, so, Jeff, if, looking back, when you saw the final product and looking at all the special effects to cater to the horror genre, you know, this is a demonically-possessed woman and we find out more as the layers get peeled back as the movie progresses are you happy with the amount of uh effects that were that were put into the film yeah you know the original script was like chock full of even more effects and uh it was kind of um and we ended up cutting a lot of them just out of necessity but uh you know I think I'm, you know, we, we try to stick to as many practical effects as we could, but there's still some visual effects. But I thought overall they were pulled off uh, very well, and I'm kind of, you know, kind of happy with uh, with how it turned out. Yeah, that's awesome. Now the, like I said, as the story evolves through all three acts, more layers get peeled back about the the family that the priest goes in to help. Uh, we, we find out that this demon that he is fighting, he knows from his past. Uh, he has seen it before. Uh, what I think is very interesting in the film is that you guys actually show us the face of what Bronzy refers to as the devil. You know, I thought that was very fascinating to actually, uh, instead of just have it heard to actually see it on the screen of what he saw, uh, whether it was the demon or the devil, he perceived it as the devil himself. So that was uh, very interesting. And within this family uh, structure that he goes in to help, uh, you have a brother and a sister, and then you have their kids. Uh, what I found very interesting, the kids, their cousins, between the brother and the sister, obviously, uh, between the one cousin and another there seems to be like sort of this romantic connection between them which is sort of like a taboo in today's society mm -hmm. but stuff happens uh what did you think of that aspect of the film and how important was that aspect to the story itself i mean we touch upon that and it's it is kind of a taboo subject but i think that once you watch the whole film it kind of makes more sense it kind of comes together i think mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah that was something uh you know i think the screenwriter uh you know uh, came up with that with that bit but uh yeah i thought it was interesting it kind of you know it doesn't really go there all the way but it certainly hints at, you mm -hmm. know i mean it, it hints at that in the movie so yeah i like that was interesting i like that i like that when films push boundaries 
and go into what is deemed as uncomfortable areas to society. Mm -hmm. So I thought, because, you know, a lot of this stuff does happen. It's a very real thing. But like you said, we're not going to give any spoilers away. As the movie progresses, we actually get to find out more. Uh, mm -hmm. That sort of explains exactly what's going on. Now, when it came to uh, the demon itself, okay, uh, and how you wanted that demon when the person is possessed to be portrayed, did you just leave that all up to the directors as to what their vision was, or did you have an input um, on that as well? Yeah, they'd sent me different designs on what they were thinking. And, um, you know, we went back and forth a few times, but they finally sent that one that we ended up with. And I liked it a lot. And um, <laughs> that's what we went with. It was kind of funny during the shoot. <laughs> I said, you know what You know what this looks like? It looks like Stephen Burkhoff, <laughs> who's in the movie. It's kind of a bald, bald creature, bald demonic creature. I said, it kind of looked like Stephen Burkhoff. Everybody laughed. So I hope that people don't think it's supposed to be him. It's not, no. but I thought it was kind of interesting that it, that it turned out that way. It was great to see Stephen back on the screen again. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Stephen most, is probably most famously known for Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, he played Victor Maitland, the bad guy in the film. So he's very well known for that. And it was good to see him back on the screen. He looks great and he did an awesome job in this film. Uh, so as far as any challenges that went on with the shoot, was there any or did this go smooth? It was, I think the biggest, one of the biggest challenges was just getting there for the filming because it, well, we shot it in England and this was in, uh, in March of last year. And it was, you know, COVID was still, uh, I mean, COVID is still in the news, but um, there was a, you know, we had to quarantine. So Bronzy and I had to quarantine together in an Airbnb uh, apartment. That I had booked and so we're in quarantine for about a week and a half trying not to drive each other crazy um you know and that was kind of one of the more and, and we had to take all these different COVID tests you know I think between the time to get there and to come back we had to take we had to each take like five COVID tests yeah so it was just kind of a nightmare with quarantine and travel and just you know being limited in what you can do so that was a tough uh, that was probably one of the toughest parts of the shoot um I like to tell people it was kind of like, I kind of joked that it was like a, if you saw the movie The Lighthouse, Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson mm -hmm. just kind of drive each other crazy at this isolated place. It's only the two of them. I was kind of joking to people. That's what it was like <laughs> with Bronzy and I just you know, slowly going insane. Oh, man. But, now, you Mark, know. you've been doing this for four decades plus. Uh, here we are since Jeff brought up COVID. Did you ever imagine, you know, this worldwide pandemic that doesn't seem to be going anywhere anytime soon and all the protocols that are set up on a, on a movie set to keep everybody safe having seen all the stuff that that you have seen in your career what do you think about you know how covid has affected filmmaking i've never seen a more challenging time to make a film with people having to test and special people and you know, a lot of the rules of filmmaking have changed over the years that have been just astounding to me. You know, a lot of them even fall in the free speech area where yeah. certain kind of rules have been established to where you can't do certain things in movies that you were able to do. Yeah. Notice there's like you see horror films now, there's very little nudity in any films, any horror mm -hmm. films, very little. And yeah. that's been something that's happened because of this puritanical rage that's across the country from the filmmaking community. And then uh, you also don't see, you know, you see very, uh, not a lot of super controversial movies anymore. So that, that whole that side is, of the has changed dramatically. That's true. So let's go to the eighties. Okay. Let's go back to when, you know, you were, making you're making films still today by the way i mean you've had such a successful career has it ever crossed your mind to say you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna enjoy my retirement you know i'm gonna retire uh every filmmaker that i have spoken to 
they basically implied asking them to whether it is to stop acting or stop making films. It's like asking them to stop breathing. Do you feel the same way? Yes. Yeah, I don't. I don't. It's probably some sort of sickness, but I don't see any way of stopping. It's like I'm actually going at a higher speed now because I go, you know, I'm not going to live forever. So I've got to make as many more movies as I can. So I'm trying to get up to 100. Right now I'm like at 75. But so we have we have the Jeff and I have another one coming out called uh, Nutcracker, which is a really good horror picture that hasn't been, you know, we've got Badrick Bergen in it. And it's uh, it's shot already, and it's beautifully done. Nice, nice. Well, a definitely. A Christmas Nutcracker comes to life. Wow! So, a Christmas Nutcracker horror story. Now that's a def that's something you've never seen before. We hope not. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so, and then uh, I'm shooting here in Mississippi. I'm here now shooting a another movie called um, Hunt Club with Mickey Rourke and Mina Savari and Casper uh, Van Dien. You're right. So, There's no slowing yeah. down. You're going full speed. No, I'm trying to just keep going. I'm more producing than directing because it's it's easier to keep make more films. But um, yeah, so in terms of retiring, I mean, I was at the Cannes Film Festival once and there was a, a director who made last year at Marion Bob, mm -hmm. the French director, and he, he showed up there at 93 with a new film. <laughs> you know, Godard had a new film at 90. So, you know, people don't stop. I don't no. see any way of stopping you know no again. why stop it's 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 your passion uh so going back to the 80s um out of the three films that i mentioned in the beginning of this interview that you've done which is uh firestarter before that came class of 1984 and then commando the one that resonated with me the most back then and even today is class of 1984 Class of 1984 is a cult classic film today. Um, and when I saw it, uh, you know, I was probably around 10. Uh, I was 10 years old in 1984. I know the movie came out in 1982, but I didn't see it in the theaters. I saw it when it came out on VHS. So I was somewhere around 10 years old. And I got to tell you, Mark, at 10 years old, Something about that movie resonated with me. And, I mean, Firestarter, fantastic movie. Commando, great movie. But there was something about Class of 1984 that just made it so special. And if you ask me what was it about it, I can't tell you. I think it was just a mixture of so many different things. Out of all those three movies... Um, I'm going to guess that Class of 1984 had the smallest budget out of all those three. Is that fair to that's say? Correct. Yeah, that's correct. But it's my favorite movie I made because I did the writing, producing, directing. It was an idea and it was kind of a homage to Clockwork Orange. So if you notice, yeah. the film had a, a power that still resonates in the opening of the movie. It says, if we don't do something about violence in high schools, there'll be incidents all over the country in years to come. And that was years before Columbine. Oh, yeah. or any, there was no high school shootings yet. And this predicted all of that and all by, you know, in the movie, blaming, you know, liberal policies to kids and allowing yeah. weapons on campus. And so it was a very prophetic movie and uh, very powerful. I don't know. It just happened to all work out perfectly and, it was a big hit all over the world. So. Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, you had this cast. Uh, probably I would say Roddy McDowell was maybe the biggest name in the cast. But Michael J. Fox, who was relatively unknown, is in the film. Uh, and you had a, a lot of other actors that were known at the time as well. So if I were to ask you, which I'm going to, what was it, in your opinion that made class of 1984 so special what would you say that was i'd say it was a completely original film and it it was uh uh had elements of classics like blackboard jungle which kind of was very similar to in content mm -hmm. but it was just the uniqueness of the movie and it was the first one that had punk rockers on screen and 
it took like all these elements of society and mixed them up like a cocktail and threw them out like in a brand new mix that people hadn't seen. Exactly. And you were not afraid to take risks with that film. Uh, the rape scene of a pregnant woman, uh, you know, that back then, you know, even though it was the 80s, that was that was. I had no censors. I had this is what I'm saying. I had you could make something really unique because there was nobody, not one person saying you can't do that. You can't do this. There was no intimacy coordinator on the set in the rape scene. You know, there was mm -hmm. just actors acting. And so all of these things that you couldn't even make that film today, I would be like put in movie jail. You know, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be never work again if you said, oh, I'm going to make that. In fact, a lot of my movies like Truck Stop Women, you could never make today. Yeah, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the sad thing because like there were so many great directors like Russ Meyer, or even Stanley Kubrick, Eyes Wide Shut. He couldn't direct that movie today by himself. He'd have to have a intimacy director standing by his side. Yeah. So yeah. the world has changed so much with movie making. And I've I've seen it over 50 years now go from like, you know, the spirit of independent filmmaking, you know, to what today, you know, it's kind of been watered down a lot of things. You know, there's some brilliant things like Titania, that new French film, mm -hmm. you know, and there's there's been European I was, I've always wondered, what was your high school like to, to come up with a movie like Class of 1984? It was it was miserable. I was like beaten up every day. I was called a, 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 a gay, you know, slang, gay words against me. And, you know, my lunch was stolen and no. there was gangs and it was, wasn't, you know, I, I heightened everything for the movie. But I, yes, I had really a, there was some of that you were kind of bullied in, in high school. Yeah, bad high school experience. I think almost everybody gets bullied in high school. I want to talk about the year of 1984. Like I said, I was 10 years old, but 1984, even today, seems to be some kind of a symbolic year. Uh, Wonder Woman, 1984, okay? It's a movie, it's a year that is referenced a lot to this day. Now, I remember 1984, like I said, I was 10, I was young, but I remember it. Nothing really spectacular happened in 1984. You had the book, of course, Big Brother, uh, 1984, and all that, you know, leading up to the year. But what is, in your opinion, Mark, what was it about 1984 that made it so special? Or for some people, it scared the, the crap out of them that 1984 was approaching. Yes, it was basically George Orwell. I mean, that's how I got the title even from the movie, was based on that scary idea of, uh, of the year 1984. I mean, now it seems almost, you know, relatively, in the, you know, weak, you know, it doesn't really compare to what's going on today. Yeah. You know, people look back and go, man, that was that 2020 with the worldwide pandemic, you know. We have it's, gone through, I mean, the stuff that we've gone through, let's just say over the last 10 years, makes the 80s and what was seen, what, what people thought was a very tumultuous period during the Cold War and in the 80s was not as bad as some of the stuff we've seen over the last decade in real life, uh, events around the world and whatnot. But 1984, I agree with you, you know, it's uh, the, the book, the movie, Big Brother, people were scared. And uh, do you feel like with Class of 1984, you sort of seized on that fear that people had and brought it not to the adults, but brought it to what this up and coming generation is in school are doing and the people they are going to become when they do grow up. Yes, I mean, what's the question exactly? They, well, did you use the fear that people had of 1984, you know, uh, like I said, with the book, with the movie, and the fear that the anxiety that people had with 1984, you already said you implemented it, that's why you chose the title as well, but did you want to just show, instead of adults and the year 1984, how kids in high school are dealing and how they're behaving in the year 1984? with the violence, the gangs, and the rape scene, and all that other stuff. 
yes, I was projecting out what the future would be like if something wasn't done in terms of this whole system that was in place even in 1982 when the film was made. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah Jeff, was... do you remember when you first saw Class of 1984? I mean, I was a little late to the party seeing that movie because, you know, I'd seen a lot of the movies that, you know, that Mark did in the 80s, obviously, you know, Firestarter, Commando, but for some reason, I think class of 1984 i think i remember seeing the poster and i was like ah this looks like a punk rock kind of movie i don't really understand what this movie is and so i i didn't i didn't see it till like years many years later yeah what but was I, your saw reaction? It, I was like this is a great movie a wonderful movie uh was that your initial reaction when you first saw it did you absolutely love it when you first saw the movie absolutely yeah it's a great movie yeah it is now moving on mark uh from class of 1984 you were tapped to do Stephen King's Firestarter, okay? Completely different budget. I'm assuming this is a Stephen King book. Uh, you know, the cast, you have Martin Sheen, of course, Drew Barrymore. Uh, so going from Class of 1984 to directing Firestarter, which, is, again, is a Stephen King book, uh first question is were you a fan of stephen king uh when is that a particular reason why you took on this project uh, no i had no i had no knowledge is the only book i read was that was firestarter at the time so i wasn't a stephen king fan no i didn't and uh it was originally it was um, um i was going to direct a movie called year of the dragon that uh de laurentis you know i I found the book and gave him this book and I said, I want to make this film. And then he got the, he all of a sudden had this fire starter from universal that John Carpenter was originally direct, couldn't direct. And he never could agree on a script or a budget with universal. Ooh. Well, they gave it to De Laurentiis and they said, you know, we have $10 million is all we want to spend. But in, in the Carpenter budget was like 15 million. So they said, you, do you know who could do it? And, that's when he had seen class of 84 De Laurentiis. And I met with him and he said, yo, this is like for you, it's like three times your last budget. So, and so I thought, you know, I just signed on, it was originally Year of the Dragon, but then he switched me to Firestarter and it was ready to go. It was like, it was a go movie. So I said, yes, for me, it was like a huge movie to do. Now $10 million back then is probably the equivalent of 30 to $50 million today. So by no yeah. means is it, was it a small budget film. Was Firestarter uh, your first big budget film that you directed? Yes, yeah. So you agreed to direct this film. Like you said, you were not really a big fan of Stephen King. Uh, before you started shooting, did you have any conversations with Stephen King whatsoever? Yes, yes. He came down to the set and before shooting. Okay, now, now, we, now we know Stephen King to date uh, today, about 40 of his uh, works have been adopted onto the screen. Titles mm -hmm. multiple times rebooted and whatnot. Do you know Firestarter? I don't know the answer to this. Uh, was it one of the first of his works that got made into a movie yeah they just had the shining before and um and uh the 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 dead zone the dead zone but they had done carrie i think carrie, carrie. yeah carrie it's like three or four salem's lot i think it come out really was that before yeah yeah salem's lot Very was few. before that's true okay yeah so knowing that you're walking in uh even not being a big fan of his books at the time uh did you feel any pressure that not only from the studio uh but the fact that you're doing a stephen king novel into a movie did the studio put pressure on you did you put any added pressure on yourself to no i uh, i was scared to death you know because when i read the you know when I, the property was there and it was so effects laden with with fireballs and people on fire and you know, and I was going, oh my God, how did, you know, to even make something like this with no CGI, remember everything no. had to be done on the set. So the new one I saw a trailer of, it's 
the remake of Firestarter is all CGI, mm -hmm. but the one we did was all practical. And, you know, I had to just think, oh my God, if you, if you tried to tackle the whole thing, you couldn't do it. You had to go shot by shot by shot. And, you know, there was a pressure universal was involved. It was a big film for me, but fortunately, you know, I started in, uh, 1970 and this was like 12 years later you know i had done all these movies so i had a lot of experience to step up to something like that it's not like today where somebody gets their second movie they're doing the eternals or something you know yeah yeah, yeah it didn't yeah. happen back then they you had to have like a lot of movies before you could do a studio film absolutely uh, did... again another change in the industry where people are just tired off you know almost off the street sometimes and uh, they are. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The body of work back then really mattered. And, you know, they wanted to have somebody if they were giving millions, tens of millions of dollars to to do a movie uh, that they had to work to back it up. Do you was Stephen King? Did he take an active role on set or he was not or was he even on the set at all? He wasn't on the set, but he was involved in the pre-production and they were, you know, they had a lot of conversations about you know, what to do when she made fire Drew Barrymore, you know, and then him and De Laurentiis decided, oh, we'll have this wind blow her hair. You know, that wasn't even me. We did it, but it wasn't my idea. But later, Stephen King's, I always had a little thing with him because he said, what a stupid idea blowing your hair. But it wasn't my idea. It was his idea. So <laughs> I don't know, you know. And I tell you what, when you think about Firestarter, like I do, that when she's creating those fires, those pyrotechnics with her mind and her hair starts to blow up in the wind, like you just mentioned. I mean, that image is like when you say fire starter for me, that's one of the very first images not that comes to my mind. That's her on the poster with her hair blow. Absolutely. Now, Drew so. Barrymore, uh, you said you got this film and it had a cast already attached to it. Is that what you no, said? No, no, no one was attached. There wasn't even a script. It was just the book. Just a book. I got the script written. I had a friend named Stanley Mann. I had him write the script. And then I uh, developed the whole project. There was nothing. There was an old script that John Carpenter had, but it was discarded. Okay. Okay. Now, yeah. uh, when it came to the casting, like I said, it just had a, a much bigger name cast in class from 1984 did. Uh, in the case of Drew Barrymore, she had done E.T., Okay, I don't know if it had come out yet, if you have seen it. Uh, this was a very hot, you know, commodity in Hollywood, this young lady, uh, and very sought after due to the success of E.T. Were you the one that gave the final okay to bring Drew Barrymore onto Firestarter? I mean, everybody did. We, we, we read hundreds of girls, and she was up against, in the end, it was between her and the... A little girl from Poltergeist. Uh, oh, Heather or something. Heather, I forgot the yeah. last name. Yeah. Heather O'Rourke. Heather O'Rourke. There you go. Yeah. It was between the two of them, you know, and then, uh, but so the studio and everybody wanted Drew Barrymore. So she was a great choice. She's amazing. Now, when uh, you, so I assume that worked out everyone had to sign off with not only Drew Barrymore, like Martin Sheen, George C. Scott, and all the others in there as well. Right, yes. So what were the challenges that surprised you when you got there and you were filming Firestarter, this big budget film? Uh, was there anything, like you said, you've been working since the early 70s. Now you're doing this big budget film even having all those years of experience behind you, uh, was there anything that surprised you working with such a, a big budget title? Uh, just the, you know, the effects were challenging, like I say, to, to do these enormous effects. And the shooting schedule was like 60 days. You know, I was shooting my movies in 25 days. Mm -hmm. So it went on and on and on, the shooting like 15 weeks. And, you know, it was... Um, you know, grueling production and a lot of dangerous stunts and effects. So it was like a huge thing to tackle, you know. Did you, up, did you find that the studio gave you autonomy uh, over every decision you wanted to make? They let you put the yeah, movie out the way you saw it? Absolutely, complete autonomy. 
I don't even, again, I don't even think that exists today in these films. I don't think, I mean, I never even saw a studio person. It was just De Laurentiis was there. And that today, was it. I'm sure you know this as well, with big studio films, what's done is they do their shooting for the day, then they send the dailies up to the studio to make sure that the studio okays them. And then they do the same thing the next day. And uh, I've spoken to a lot of filmmakers who have worked with, you know, who do films for the big studios. And some of the big studios require what they call the dailies. Basically, whatever they shot that day gets uploaded to the studio to make sure the studio signs off on it. So back then in the 80s, that just did not exist. Uh, so well, 35 millimeters, so it would take days to develop them. <laughs> You didn't even see it yourself. There was not even a monitor. You didn't know what the hell you were shooting. Oh. Jeff, we should do that on our next films. I want to, we want to see the dailies that night. <laughs> but you couldn't do it back then. There was just like, we're, it's, it's such a different era. It's amazing. It like, is. It freedom is. you can have, even on a big budget film. Absolutely. The complete freedom to just to be. Didn't they, wouldn't they rush? I would think the studios, don't they rush that developing? And it's usually like they look, they would watch them next day or something. For the, like a, the studio yeah, level? They were shipped back in two days. You'd see them three or four days later. You'd oh, wow. They had to sync the sound up, and it was a whole process. It wasn't like digital. Yeah, because you were in North Carolina shooting the movie, right? It wasn't LA yeah. or whatever. It was yeah, North Carolina, yeah. Now, Jeff, yeah. when did you meet Mark? I, oh, I actually met Mark in, uh, I think it was 2012. I, had a, uh, I did a movie about Paul Bunyan as a giant kind of axe murderer, mm -hmm. you know, Paul Bunyan, the lumberjack. So I had made this movie. It ended up being called Axe Giant because Sci-Fi Channel hated the title Bunyan. It was called Bunyan. Sci-Fi Channel said, we hate Bunyan. We don't want Bunyan in the title. Um, but anyway, Mark was a, was a sales agent. So I met him back then. He was very interested in the movie and he actually came out to our uh, premiere at Shockfest Film Festival. So we appreciated that because most people, you know, 90% of people will never come to your premiere or screening if you invite them, but Mark actually came out. So yeah, we always appreciated that. Um, but he and I just kind of stayed in touch over the years and I'd see him at markets and I'd, you know, see him at Cannes, uh, at, uh, at the market at Cannes. And so, yeah, we just, uh, I think the first one they actually, we actually teamed up on was the Gardener a couple of years yeah. ago, right, Mark? Yeah. Yeah. Now, uh, class of nineteen eighty four. Would you, Mark? Would you categorize that as a horror film? Yes. Okay. Firestarter. Uh, what genre would you place that in? Horror film. Horror. Okay. So now we move on to Commando. Not a horror film. Okay. No. You have Arnold Schwarzenegger, and this is Arnold after Terminator, after Conan the Barbarian uh conan the destroyer so he's a a big deal now all right so you get commando and commando uh, i mean it's a pure action flick from start to finish okay uh so now you get into doing this action movie uh compared to firestarter is Commando's budget even bigger or about on the same scale of Firestarter? Um, I would say much bigger. Much bigger. As a yeah, director... Bigger, bigger production. Okay. And I'm assuming that's because of all the action sequences in the film, right? Yes. Yeah. It was, it was shot in LA and California with a union cruise and studio 20th Century Fox. Whereas the other one, Firestarter, was non-union independent movie made by De Laurentiis in North Carolina. So this was a very costly movie, Commando in L.A. Now you said and again, no, no CGI again, no, no CGI, no CGI. Uh, so you said uh, Firestarter, you did it in sixty days. How long did it take to do Commando? Same thing. Sixty 45. days. Yeah, fifty days, forty-five, fifty days. As a director. Uh, let's say you're talking to film students and you know let's say they want to do action films would you i would think that action films are one of the most challenging films to make because of all the stunts uh and every all the safety precautions that need to be taken uh so do you agree with that are action films uh the more intensive harder to make films 
yes, I would say I don't really even attempt them anymore because you need vast sums of money and the way like a car chase, you know, in Commando, we actually went on Mulholland Drive and had a car chase with real cars, real drivers, real crashes. But today, I mean, you see Fast and the Furious, cars can't fly to the moon. You know, I mean, you see cars, cars parachuting out of airplanes. Yeah, they're flying to the moon in a car, like in a Dodge Charger. They're flying to the moon. So the the scenes you can't be created anymore without vast sums of money. And you shouldn't attempt action movies like that unless you had like vast sums of money. You know, with if they're done just all CGI with things like even Born Identity and these yeah. type of car chases, you couldn't shoot those back then you know that way james bond did it but those were very expensive oh, yeah. movies yeah. That had those car chases, those are rudimentary those car chases if you put them up against fast and the furious now for you me know, they, Com commando the sequence that i want to talk about and i want to ask you how you did it is in the first part of the movie where arnold schwarzenegger's character is on the airplane they're about to take off he kills the person that's traveling with him. He makes it down into the nose gear and he jumps out of the airplane as soon as it takes off. How the hell did you shoot that? <laughs> it was a combination of a real plane that went down the runway and there was an, uh, with a, a giant mock-up of a plane's bottom section of a plane that was rigged to like a flatbed truck. Wow. So he actually climbed onto part of a plane that was a fake that was going down that same runway at LAX. And then the plane takes off and, um, you know, a dummy fault. We didn't jump out of the plane. Yeah, yeah, like I figured that. That's the only CGI shot in the whole movie was the animated, the, there was an animated dummy that comes out of the plane. Because we did try a real dummy, but he kept getting blown and, to the engines, but you couldn't even, you couldn't get a plane like that and do stunts at LAX today. We didn't even have security then. It was, we just called up the, the control tower and say, our plane's gotta come around again. Can you put it in front of the other traffic so we can land it quicker? I mean- And this is not some small town airport, this is LAX. Right, but it was operating like you wouldn't even, you couldn't even imagine it operating today like this. Couldn't even imagine. How long did that sequence take to shoot? Days and days. I don't even, you know, a long time. Uh, yeah. That's fascinating. Now, working with Arnold, does he like to do a lot of his own stunts? Or does yeah, he? No, he does whatever he could do. He wanted to do them all himself because he didn't believe anybody could duplicate his body like stunt doubles. Okay. That his fans would notice that, that the ripples weren't in the right place, whatever. Awesome <laughs> people think about this, you know. So he was doing like a lot of this himself. Yeah, that's Great. impressive. Now, Jeff, are you a, a fan of movies? You know, action movies like Commando. Sure. Yeah. 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 I like Commando. I saw it. Uh, you know, when it first came out. Now, and, the thing uh, about Commando. I'm sorry to cut you off, but the thing about Commando is the body count. Oh my God! Especially in the third <laughs> act when he literally wipes out the entire island of mercenaries all by himself. What'd you think about that part, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, there's a ton of great one-liners in the movie too. So that's, I think, one of the first movies with Arnold, I guess, you know, I mean, I guess Terminator, Terminator had a lot of one-liners too, but that's, I guess, one of the first movies when he would give all these one-liners, kind of these James Bond lines after he dispatched these guys. Absolutely, but, yeah. absolutely. I'm. I had uh, Mark. I had the pleasure last year of meeting Vernon Wells at a convention. Oh, I love him. What a nice man! You know, Vernon Wells uh, plays Bennett, the antagonist in Commando, yeah. and just what a down-to-earth, uh, nice man. Uh, what was it like working with that entire cast in Commando? They were great. Yeah, they were all fantastic. Now. Compare that with Firestarter, like I said, all the big names, George C. Scott, Martin Sheen. Uh, was there any clashes of egos on set or did everybody do what they had to do, true professionalism? No, it was, all those actors were amazing. 
I found that the bigger the actors are, the easier they are to work with. The more famous and bigger, the easier they are, you know? Really? Yeah. I guess no it problem. kind of makes sense. They're not trying to prove something. They're already established. So there's, they just go about and do their work. How about right. you, Jeff, when you're working with different casts, uh, you know, what types of cast do you find easier to work with? I mean, I know what Mark's saying that, you know, at a certain level, these people maybe don't feel like they have anything to prove, but, you know, I feel that, you know, a lot of these young, you know, if you get like a young actor or somebody that, you know, is coming in and, and feels very grateful to be given a chance, you usually get a lot of, you know, they're usually, I found easier to work with versus somebody that has a lot of, you know, more baggage and, you know, the agents and managers and, you know, yeah. and maybe they're not even doing your project and let, you know, except for the fact that you're paying them, yeah. you know, a lot of money or something. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot of the young actors and, and unknowns are kind of more grateful. Yeah. You know, they'll, they'll typically bend over backwards and, and kind of do things that sometimes you'll, but, you know, that being said, I've worked with a lot of these name actors and they're just, you know, very nice, friendly, helpful people too. So it just kind of depends. Absolutely. Mark, it seems that uh, now in your career, you're doing more and more horror. Are you, would you classify yourself as a horror fan? Uh, oh yeah, I love horror fans. I've always done, you know, I did the Fun House with Toby Hooper I produced. And yeah. I'm always throwing in, you know, I've always had horror along the way, but as I say, I like all these genres. So whatever, you know, can be made, I'll, I'll do it. I know Jeff loves the horror shows, so Nutcracker is going to be a horror film. And yeah. Absolutely. So, Mark, looking back on your awesome career, is there any particular project, doesn't have to be any of the three that I that we got deep into, any project that you say stands out for you, uh, whether you had a great time doing it, you got creative, you you just absolutely loved the experience. I made a, I made a great little thriller called Night of the Running Man with Scott Glenn and Andrew McCarthy. That's a really interesting, good film, exciting thriller. And I did one, Extreme Justice, with Scott Glenn, Lou Diamond Phillips, about yes. the police department. So those, you know, I'm really proud of it. But, you know, I love all the films I've made. I just keep going, and they're all like little children to me. Sometimes I don't even remember. I can be watching TV, and I, I see a movie. I thought, wow, that movie's pretty good. I wonder who made it. And it turns out to be me. I go, wait a minute, I actually directed it. <laughs> that's what happens when you make too many films how about you jeff looking back on the movies that you've made is there any one that really stands out for you i mean i think my favorite of the ones i've done so far um is the russian bride um you know that one came out uh, a couple years ago we sold it to showtime i think it's up on tubi now and a lot of the other uh, streaming platforms but it starred corbin bernson and uh uh, you know, the director, Michael Ojeda, was a very talented uh, guy. He made a movie called Avenged, mm -hmm. uh, like a kind of a rape revenge film that Quentin Tarantino really liked. Uh, Quentin Tarantino raved about it in an interview a few months ago. Um, the, the Russian Bride I like. And then, uh, you know, these movies I'm doing with Bronzy are fun. You know, The Gardener I enjoy, Death Kiss, I think it's a fun movie. A uh, movie I did called The Toy Box with Denise Richards and Misha Barton. That's kind of a fun little haunted uh better haunted rv kind of like christine if christine was it was an rv yeah um so yeah there's a few that i have you know everybody kind of you kind of have favorites so i got just one last question to mark what are your what is your opinion on reboots like firestarter it's being rebooted uh you know for me the original firestarter should have been left alone and untouched uh what do you think about when people remake a movie that you made like firestarter i mean god bless them it's kind of a compliment they're going to remake your work but there's so many that can be remade now i mean nightmare alley but sometimes they don't come up to what the originals were but i mean i remade blackboard jungle really off the record i mean it was kind of a homage to it or i mean it's all like spinning these movies absolutely it's good it's good you know i don't think it's a problem yeah yeah well i love it. i get this so the, they're still making shakespeare movies right actually yeah they are they are uh i, I gotta run but yeah go ahead yep no i'm just gonna say this hour we're almost up just flew by uh i want to thank both of you for coming on here mark any final thoughts you want to share before we go 
not good. Just if you're a filmmaker, just get out and shoot movies and do them your way and make them controversial and push the boundaries. Yes, keep filming. Jeff, how about you? Yeah, you know, just uh, I just tell people do something every day to move your career forward. You know, too many people move to LA and have to have you know kind of day jobs or whatever to get by. And I think you you know if you're a writer, write. You know, uh, if you're a producer or director, do something every day, develop a, a project or send out query letters or get in touch with somebody, move your career forward. Absolutely. And, uh, I, yeah, I just want to encourage everybody to see the new movie. Exactly. <laughs> and the movie, again, is called Exorcist Vengeance. Uh, mm-hmm. It is being released tomorrow on DVD. Uh, Jeff, do you want to, is it coming to Amazon Prime, Voodoo, the major video on demand transactional platforms? Yeah, the major, the major TVOD, the major transactional platforms for now. Uh, and then uh, I think, you know, DVD should be available on Amazon uh, as well. If not tomorrow, I think very soon. But then, uh, you know, the major TVOD platforms. And then, uh, you know, I'm sure it'll be on, you know, Tubi and those the usual suspects about three months from now, too. So, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So, guys, check it out. It's called Ghost Vengeance. Both Mark and Jeff are producers in the film. Uh, it's an interesting thing. Thanks Vengeance. Exorcist <laughs> Vengeance. It's a great, oh, yeah. it's a great take on uh, demonic possession from a vigilante Catholic priest. It's something you've yeah. never seen before, and you know I always enjoy watching stuff that I've never seen before. I want to thank both of you. Thank Mark Lester, Jeff Miller. Thank our audience, those of you who are tuning in live, and those who will watch this later on. On behalf of Mark and Jeff and myself, stay safe. Till next time, guys. Stay walking. Good night. Thank you so much. Pleasure.